0: Okay, so welcome back to episode number 56 of the locker room podcast we're still going strong um today i've got a very special guest who i, I was delighted and, and it was a pleasure to work with for four years uh, when i was at london uh, ga in 2015 i met liam uh, it wasn't pre-christmas because i think his club did quite well so he came back in january which is normally the case or just before but liam gavigan still the uh, captain london-born captain of, of london ga inter-county football team you've had a great start so far liam we won't go into london too much too soon we'll save that for later but thanks for coming on to the podcast pleasure to have you
1: yeah hi rush yeah no uh, thanks for having me but um yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a great start to the year and um, getting three wins under our belt was brilliant. So um, looking forward to the rest of the year and yeah, looking forward to having a chat with you now.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, it'd be fascinating even from from a selfish point of view as an outsider now in terms of what you guys are doing and, and the great work that's going on so it's delighted to have you on and i think the listeners will really be able to resonate with your personal situation and and you know how you manage your your other parts of your life around the football but we'll get to that um, in a little bit gabby just quickly just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors Ript, who have continued to sponsor us uh ripped is a software platform built for performance coaches and organizations we use them here at daily sports science uh, very very good online platform where you can do training programs uh, monitoring strategies in place a lot of nutritional guides very very good place uh, very good tool that you can use to find out a bit more please head over to www.ripped.app and use the code locker room for your free to uh, your two month free trial and see how you get on with, with the uh, with the program over there so Gavi, as I said briefly mate I met you in 2015 when I when I came into the world of Gaelic football and I had no clue before that what what the sport was to be honest so it was a, it was a massive eye opener um and I met you there for four years I came in under the previous manager Kieran as as we know but tell us a little bit about yourself how did you get into London your upbringing in in a country that Gaelic isn't the the, the top sport, Gaelic football, isn't the top sport. I've never heard of it, in, in all honesty. So, tell me how you got into it from when you was really little. A little bit of background about your family and uh, and, and to current date, if that's alright.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. Basically, my parents obviously um, are Irish. Um, they moved over here uh, with uh, three kids, um, and then I was born over here with my sister. So. Um, yeah, growing up, it was very much in a, a traditional Irish household. Um, you know, I, I grew up in like Greenford, which is in a small part in West London, and went to a Catholic school here, which again, had a small Irish community. So um, I was very much still involved in an Irish community growing up. Um, and then obviously my brothers were older than me. So, uh, you know, my dad brought them playing Gaelic football. So um, I used to go and watch them a lot. Um, and then, yeah, and then I started from a young age and obviously I played Gaelic football and then I played... Obviously, soccer as well. So, um, grew up doing both really. Um, and yeah, like my dad's a massive GAA fan. It was always on the telly at home. Um, and obviously, we live close to Rice Slip. So, it was very convenient for us to go out and watch games and watch London when I was younger. So, yeah, Gaelic football has always been a big part of my life uh, since I was young, really.
0: Perfect well talk to me a little bit about your early career when you was growing up as a kid then so in terms of where I'm from we have you know a very strong development process and academy system Like, there's underage teams at at the teams and clubs that you play for but what was it like at schools how much exposure did you have to Gaelic football as a kid?
1: Um, Yeah I think even now in Gaelic football I think development has come a long way I think you have like you know development teams you have you know, specialised coaches going into underage, going into schools um, and things like that. But when I was growing up, it was a little bit different. Um, like my school, uh, Cardinal Wiseman, uh, wasn't a massive Gaelic football stronghold. Um, we had a, a PE teacher that uh, was into Gaelic football um, and she played and obviously she'd she done like an after-school club and things like that. But, um, yeah, in terms of like my school, it, it wasn't massive. Um but yeah, away from that, like underage, I played my underage with Chircona Gales. Um, and there was always a few good underage teams around. Um, so the competition was always big. Um, but yeah, I think for me, my my development came uh, massively from when I was like 15, um, summer months, the underage stopped. So like July and August, you have no like underage games because people are going on school holidays and things like that. Um, and my brother was playing for um, another local club, which was intermediate at the time, um, St. Joseph's, um, and they had a great coach. So I, I went down training with them when I was fifteen, uh, just during the summer months, and um, I felt like that really brought my game on. You know, um, actually getting exposed to like men's football for the first time, um, and they had a great they had a great coach, a Kerry man, Alan Bailey at the time. That was he was a forward as well, like myself. So um, he used to do a lot of one to one stuff for me before training, after training. So. Yeah, at 15 years of age, I felt I went back to underage then in like September, playing underage games, and I felt like my, my game had grew and I'd gone to another level. Um, and then from then, it, it kind of year after year, it kind of like spiraled really. I think 16 then, I you know, I, I went and kind of broke onto the the senior team, like training with the senior team at Chircona Gales, which again was another level. Um, and Paul Coggins was manager at the time, and he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. And then... He brought me on to when he took the London job uh, when I was 18 in 2011. He he brought me there and I played with London. So um, I think from 15 to 18, 19, I think every year my game developed. Um, and I think it yeah, held me in good stead, really, for you know later on in my career.
0: Okay. And what age did you start playing, like officially for a club? Uh, well,
1: Chick on the girls. I started training with them at 16 um, and, yeah, like 17 then. Um, was kind of when I started st- starting in the team, really. So that's um, crazy.
0: So prior to that, you were so a little bit of school, a little bit knock around with your brothers and, and your dad and stuff, but and a bit of soccer, like nothing too formal before that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, underage systems, like you were training with like your under-14s. I was, you know, I played in London teams. that went to failures over in Ireland, and um, I was lucky enough to go to America three times with London minors as well and, and play over in America. Um, so, yeah, so I think in terms of, yeah, I think my development, I said when I was 15, going down playing with my brother's team and actually getting coached uh, by a high-level coach, uh, you know, was was massive. And then obviously growing up, um, I used to go and watch my brother play and my brother used to hang around with me afterwards and, and do a bit with me as well. So, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, one of them things. And then obviously I went into a chick on a girl's team at uh, 16, 17 and, you know, they were very good. They um, They... They'd just done i think two in a row um i think uh, the last the, the year i started then it was three in a row and it it was it was a team full of winners um and being a part of that was it was massive as well you know like you know just getting that experience under your belt at such a young age it was huge and um on the training pitch as well like you know they didn't go easy on me um which is which is you know what you need um, as a youngster you know um they're really much you know uh they put me in at the deep end and you know, you kind of had to learn as you went and um, yeah, and that's how it went. And I just kind of evolved from there really.
0: Sure. No, it's, it sounds like you had a fascinating um, development period. Uh, anyone that knows you will know tech, like you're a very technical player. You're a free taker, your ball striking's very good. Um, what do you think got you to that level? Like, was it, was it hours of practicing on your own? I know even when you was in the, 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 the London panel, you was off doing your own stuff on days off, taking freeze. What, How much dedication did you put to your technique over the years and what do you think brought you to your skill level now?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in repetition, Um, a big believer in, you know, basically what what you put in is what you get out. So, um, yeah, I I used to go off on my own a lot. Um, Even as a youngster, when I was even at underage, when I was 15, 16, I I used to get a bag of footballs and go off on my own. So um, I kind of, I feel like when I go off on my own, um, I learn, I learn a lot as well. Again, as you say, like free taking and things like that, you know, I'll always be working on technique. Um, you know, if, if I miss, I kind of know why I miss um, and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's always been a big part of me that, um, you know, on the training pitch beforehand, I'm always out, you know, working and stuff. And as I, I go back to it, repetition and, and hard work and you always, you know, you always reap the benefits from, from it. So um, it's something I still stick by now and I, I still do it. So...
0: Sure that's great great advice and I think something you said there about you know why you've missed you're very analytical um do, you, do you tell, tell us a little bit about how you analyze your own performance whether in training within games and and what process you go through.
1: Yeah yeah I'm, I'm obviously quite self-critical myself so um yeah even if i if I have a good game I'd, I'd always still be doubting myself I'd always be you know looking at areas where I didn't do so great so even like go back to a game, like, one of my best games I played, probably Leech from 2017. Um, I still go back to that game, and there was areas of that game, I think, you know, even though it's probably the best game I played, I, I probably left one, two out there. Um, so, things like that, I'm always, you know, looking at it, you know, and then, obviously, then the, the games I played terrible, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, what I did wrong, what I did right, and, um, you know, sometimes go back to basic, you know, get yourself... I like, I I spoke to you previously years ago about getting yourself in credit. So um, you know, you're always telling me like if if, if I make mistakes, um, you're gonna make mistakes in a game. You know, it's gonna happen. You're you're up against good defenders. So um it's it's just basically getting yourself uh, in credit. So um, you know, get your hands on the ball, make an easy pass, you know, get do a couple of them confidence builds and then then you can maybe, you know, try a bit more ambitious pass or or whatever you wanna do. So I always feel like trying to, you know try and play a game for 70 minutes where I'm, I'm in credit the whole time so I'm going to make mistakes but always make sure that um, I'm always you know doing positive things and they outweigh the, the mistakes you know
0: Brilliant yeah great advice um, um, what do you think then about players that maybe don't have that same self critical awareness does it frustrate you or do you just think everyone's different in how they approach the game
1: <laughs> Yeah I think everyone's, everyone's different Um I think uh, yeah, it can be frustrating sometimes, uh, with you know, uh, with certain lads. But now I think some lads, you need to let them off a leash. Um, I think you know they're going to make multiple mistakes, but then they could go and, and, and bang two goals in and it's game over. So, um, yeah, everybody's different. Um, yeah, I think the way I play and, and my position, I, I, I try to limit mistakes and, 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 yeah, just, you know, try and play the game how I see it. And when I think there's an opportunity to go, I will go. But... Um, yeah, but I think some lads, uh, I think some lads need to be just uh, let let off a leash, especially inside men. Um, inside men, you know, they're different and they're basically a winning of a game. So um, sometimes they're going to make mistakes, but they could win the game for you at the same time.
0: Sure, it drives the uh, drives the coaches mad, but yeah, they, they they're definitely the game winners. Um, Liam, just quickly you touched upon your obviously your upbringing with TCG. How pivotal were they? And you spoke about Paul Coggins and someone you've worked under for a long period of time at both club and county. How pivotal were that club in getting you to where you are now? Um, and in general, the the London kind of club scene in terms of the the football leagues and the championship over here.
1: Yeah, massive. I mean, even like growing up, um, like the chairman, like Tom Mowen. He was always around like the underage setup, and he was always looking out for me, uh, which was massive. And he kind of introduced me to Paul Coggins first uh, when I was 16. And then obviously then I, I worked with Paul Coggins for a few years and he brought me to London. And, you know, Paul believed in me um, and he, he put an arm around me and, and, and looked after me. So, uh, yeah, in, in terms of my own personal development, like, the club was huge and, I, you know, I owe them massively to where i am now but um yeah in, in terms of like the the club scene on the whole i think one of the biggest things they did um 10 11 years ago was uh put a, a junior team <clears throat> um made up of all english born players so um when i was kind of coming through uh and before me especially um uh, a lot of lads were were dropping away uh, once they got to 18 because the gap between underage football in london and senior football was, it, it's massive. So, um, you know, people weren't getting uh, game time, weren't playing with their clubs. And then naturally, you know, they get fed up and, and they used to drop away. So, um On Girls were, you know, the first club to kind of put a, an all-English-born team into the junior championship. So, to just to bridge that gap between underage and senior football. Um, and, yeah, it was brilliant. It's, I think it's developed it's developed so many more English-born footballers. They won the junior championship, I can't remember, a few years ago now. Um, and I think on the club scene especially, we've got more English-born players now in the club scene as opposed to when I was there, you know, when I first came there in, in 2008 and eight and nine. So um, I think that's one of the, the positive factors. And there's other clubs in London that are doing the same thing now, Parnells and St. Kiernan's, who have great underage structures. Um, they're doing similar now. So hopefully all in all, um, in 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 another ten years time or so, I think we should have more English-born players play, operating at a higher level and and playing for the county team.
0: Hundred percent, it definitely pays off dividend for the county team. What what do you think changed then in the mentality that we need to actually focus on more London-born players? Obviously, there's that stability element, but who, where where did that moment come amongst TCG and now other clubs to to, to really realise that?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think you'd have to ask the hierarchy there. But um, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think, I, I think it was frustrating. I think, you know, the, the underage teams I played in at Chircona Gales were good. Like we, we, had, we had good underage teams, and then a lot of lads were falling away, um, which isn't right, you know? Um, so you want, you, want, you want to keep them playing, and, and that was kind of a way of, of keeping, keeping them playing. And then obviously, you know, going back to what we said, the transition year after year in, in the London County team especially, but even in the club scene over here, you know, people come and go. Um, so if you've got, uh, you know, a core base of English-born players um, that can operate at senior level um, and they're going to be here every year, then, you know, that transition is, is you know, it's not as hard as what it would be if, you know, you had 10 Irish lads coming in year after year. So um, I think that's the way we went with it. And I think at Cheek on the now, I think we've got a good blend of English-born players and Irish-born lads that are coming Um and I think, yeah, it, it bodes well for the
0: future. Sure. No, good stuff. J- just switching quickly before we go into more London stuff, I want the listeners to find out a bit more about you personally. So, like, just give the listeners a bit of info around your job. Um, you've got a very good career, you know, a very established job, but it's very different in terms of your, your shifts that you do. Um, and just speak about how that might affect your training or how it differs to when you have to travel away and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, basically, yeah, I, I do signal engineering on the underground um and yeah i work nights so uh yeah monday to friday i'm I'm working nights and um it it, it benefits in a way for training um so you know today i've I've had a great sleep and i'm going training tonight and you know i'll be fresh but um yeah in terms of of traveling away things like that i'll I'll book the friday night off and try and change my body clock to to play the game so um that can be difficult um and getting a bit harder now I'm getting a bit older as well but um yeah I think you know these you know these you know you can make negatives out of them if you want to but um, at the end of the day I love playing football um and while I still love playing football then I'm happy to you know to adapt and I just I think I have to be just a bit more disciplined uh on myself everything has to be planned you know um you know in terms of my sleep my hours If if I need to change my body clock I need to you know get up a bit earlier and and things like that. So I just have to plan my whole week around, basically changing my body clock to to be ready for a game um, on a Sunday. But um, yeah, it has its challenges. But as I said, like I love playing football, and and while while that's still burning inside of me, then I'm happy to to keep keep adapting.
0: Sure, we'll talk a little bit about that. You're changing your body clock. So what do you do then? Let's say on on a home game, how do you then change your body clock from a Friday night when you finish or early hours to then play on on Sunday?
1: Yeah, home game. I try not to change too much um, because I think you know sleep is probably the most important thing you can you can have. So yeah, home game. I think say the game's at one o'clock. We normally meet around half eleven. Um, yeah, I would, I would, I'd be up at half ten. So I I try and get to sleep around two half two in the morning um, and get my eight hours in. Um, so yeah, so if I'd, I'd work Friday night, I then maybe only get six hours. Um, Saturday during the day, I'd get up, be a little bit tired. Then Saturday night, and then hopefully get a solid eight hours before the game Sunday. But then on the flip reverse of that, if, if we got a flight flying out for an away game on a Saturday morning, I I'd book annual leave on the Friday. Um, but again, I'd get up earlier on the Friday morning, so I might only have four hours sleep to then try and get a a half decent sleep on the Friday night, and then obviously traveling over to Ireland and then. Try and get a, a, a good solid eight hours in Saturday night. So, um, home games, I try not to adapt too much because it is tough changing the whole time. So, home games, I try and just stay in my pattern because, you know, there's nothing worse lying in bed and not sleeping. You're just tossing and turning. So, um, I try and avoid that and, and basically uh, try and stay as close to my routine as I can.
0: I think it's fascinating how you, how you adapt. Uh, week on week, really, and, and still perform at, at such a good level. So testament to you. I always say about the Gaelic boys. Whenever I went into the the Gaelic boys, their their detail. Some of them, their detail and taking ownership of their own programs is phenomenal compared to the world where I come from, where you get spoon-fed information left, right, and centre. So I think I think testament to you. A um, little bit about your social sacrifice then, so you work nights anyway, um, you, you, you're out training two times a week, plus a gym session, maybe extras on days off in the evenings, then your games at weekend, I mean, it takes its toll on, on personal life as well, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah, um, obviously it does, but uh, it, again, it's, it's something I enjoy, so yeah, I, I always know with London, I think from Christmas, um, from Christmas time until we, you know, finish up in in the championship in in May or wh- where whenever it will be, I know like uh, my social life will be limited, um, but I just pick and choose, you know. I pick and choose when I go. So you know, if we have a weekend off, I might, you know, you know, just you know, forget about football and and go out with my girlfriend for a night out and and enjoy it and and stuff. So I just I just pick and choose my moments, but. Um, yeah, obviously working nights and then playing football at weekends. Like right? it seems, yeah, you know, every week rolls into one. But um, you, when you do have like a weekend off or whatever, then I, I try and make the most of it and forget about football and and go and enjoy myself a little bit.
0: Brilliant. Good stuff, we Just before we move on to more of the current day stuff and the London stuff, just again, want to say thank you to our sponsors, Ripped. Um, very, very appreciative of all the uh, sponsorship they've given us and, and support over the years. So please head over to www.ripped.app and again, use the code Locker Room to get your two months free trial. Um, Okay, good stuff, so just moving on more to, to to London. You spoke a little bit about how you broke on the scene, Gabby, can you speak about when you first broke on, so what was it like in the county setup there in terms of the setup itself and the players um, and and what it looked like for you? how was you on the bench? was you not playing much but training? how old were you? Stuff like that when Coggins first brought you in?
1: yeah, so Coggins um he took the job in 2000, well, end of 2010, going into the 2011 season. Obviously, he invited me in. Um, and, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, it, it all went well. It all, You know, the whole, I started every game in the league um, in 2011. Again, which was, I go back to, you know, from when I was 15 all the way up to 18, 19. I, every year I was, you know, going to new levels. Um, and, again, that was, you know, at the top. So, um I was chopping myself. I was, you know, I was playing against higher, higher opposition, you know, tougher defenders, um, and obviously me at the, at the time being eighteen, going on nineteen, you know, it was it was a massive eye opener of where I need to be uh, to be able to compete to this level. But yeah, I, I, my league campaign had done well. Um, I started, I started every league game, um, and I enjoyed it. And then obviously we had Mayo in championship that year. Um, and I got bench for that. Two boys flew over. Mark Gotcher came to town that year, so um, I got bombed. But um, no, it was uh, it was good. Yes, I was on the bench against Mayo, and um, yeah, it was brilliant. Again, it was such a, a massive experience. The, the team we had that year, especially, was good. Um, again, full of leaders, um, and the will to win was was massive. And obviously, that wasn't really common with London at the time. Um, so, yeah, we ran Mayo to extra time. Um, I came on that game. Um, and, yeah, again, playing against Mayo, who were Division One, you know, always top five team in Ireland, you know, and me kind of still just out of minor. Um, again, a huge experience. And, um, yeah, one I learned a lot from. And then we went on then that year. We brought them to extra time. Probably ran out a little bit of legs. Um, didn't get over the line and we went into the backdoor system and we beat for Fermanagh um, and then we lost to Waterford in the, in the second round. So yeah, in terms of like my first year in with London, it was, it was huge. Um, but yeah, the commitment was massive, you know, compared to, you know, underage and then going to London, um, going with club, then over to like into the London team, the commitment was massive. And obviously me at the time would just come out of school and, and I was, you know, with, uh, you know, all my school friends didn't play Gaelic football either. So um it was quite different for me in terms of I, I grew up in a school and all my mates played like soccer and stuff like that. And then I was playing Gaelic football. So going into a changing room, which was, you know, majority men uh, and, you know, and, you know, most of them were Irish, um, it, you know, it was quite difficult to me because I had a different, you know, I was just a kid and I just, you know, I grew up in London and my mates were not involved in Gaelic football at the time. So, um going into a change room like right, you know had its challenges in that way as well um so i was probably a bit quieter um and things like that but the lads were brilliant with me at the time um i even go back to check on the girls the um the senior team when i first broke on at 16 17 um they they had six or seven lads with london at the time and um they were all brilliant with me and they had leaders i mean you know you had brian Britty there at the time in goal and um he was brilliant with me you know he, he looked after me well and um So, yeah, at the time it it was brilliant and I learned a lot from it. And obviously, Coggins, um, Paul Coggins from 16 to to 19, he he was with me all the way and he had my arm around me and and he looked after me, really.
0: Yes, fascinating. When you said a team for leaders, you can't be referring to Gotcha in that sense, huh? (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) He he was a phenomenal player. He was a very Um, good player. I hope he's listening to this. He's phenomenal, yeah. Very good player, um, Gary. Talk us then through your so you come into the system, and and how does things then change through obviously Coggins and 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 when we came in, and now Michael. How have things changed throughout the years in terms of the structures, the setups, the the types of player that come in? Have things changed much, or has it been fairly consistent? Um, yeah,
1: I think it's been fairly fairly consistent in a way. I think uh, in terms of our like, English-born players, I think they all had the same ideal. I think Coggins. You know, I think Coggin started it in terms of trying to, you know, bring in more English-born players, and then I think Kieran brought it on to another level. Um, and yeah, I think in training-wise, I think uh, under Kieran, especially, you know, I think it went to a, a different level. I think he tapped into his soccer background, um, and yeah, he brought he brought Gal- he he brought training to, to a different level, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. Everything had a purpose. Um, you know everything we did if, if a game didn't go right um that week in training it was you know drills to you know try and improve what we didn't do well in the game so um yeah and and then now, you know rolling forward into michael it's very similar I think, you know michael done a, uh, you know done a year with, with Kieran there at the end uh, worked a lot on on defensive side of things under Kieran and and again he's he's brought it forward again um i think every manager has their own ideas don't they um so Michael's come in with, with different ideas and, and he's implemented them and the, and the players are bought into it and, and so far it's going well.
0: Yes, yeah, going really well. In terms of working with different managers then, you've obviously you had Coggins for a long period of time and then that managers, as you say, have their own ideas and, and they, they bring different strengths and weaknesses to the, to, the, to the party. How important is it that players are adaptable to different styles and, and, and really adaptable to what that manager wants, but also for the best for the team?
1: Yeah, no, I agree, yeah. So, um, as you say, I think every manager has a, has a different style. I think every footballer nowadays, especially the way they go, the game has gone, I think you have to be adaptable. I think uh, in terms of positions on a football pitch now, you know, they're not set, you know. You're not just a wing forward or you're not just a centre forward. Um, the only set position really is goalkeeper and you might have an inside man that stays close to goal, that, that's, that's your winner. But... In and around that, you know, from half forward to, to the full back line, everybody should be adaptable, you know. Um, and I think that's the way the game has gone. And, you know, I think players can't just go, oh, this is my best position, uh, wing forward. Like, why am I not playing there? Because that's, you know, Gaelic football has evolved and, it, you know, everyone, there is no set positions anymore. Everyone is everywhere. So um, I think that's a, that's a key component for lads to, you know, to be adaptable. And, and as you say, every, every manager has his own ideas. You know, uh, where, you know, the position that Kieran played me into where Paul Goggins played me, they, they saw me in different positions. Um, and that's just, again, it's something you have to adapt to and whatever whatever the team needs and and he feels that that's your best position for the team to win, then you go and do it. So I think, I think nowadays, I think every player, um, have to be adaptable in terms of their positioning.
0: Sure, it's, it's, it's a key trait that you see from the top players indeed. What do you mean by in terms of like no set positions, everyone's everywhere? Just speak to the listeners a bit about is there certain like systems in place or styles in place that it, it mean that you, you get into an effective shape, but it doesn't matter who's in what position? Explain to the listeners a little bit more about that.
1: Um, yeah, I think obviously, you know, the, the, the common one is like the wing forwards going back. Um, you know the wing forwards just going up and down the pitch con- constantly but yeah I think um Gaelic's evolved in terms of like defensive shape um, you're going to have a shape across you know your defensive line wherever that may be in your own half and it doesn't matter who's in those positions because in a game everybody goes everywhere so you could find yourself you know a, a corner back could you know run to the pitch and go into corner forward and what do I do? Do I follow him or just let him go? Like you you have to follow him. So then I find myself in cornerback. So then you have to, you have to adapt, you know, your positioning, you have to read where the ball is, your goal side, all things like that. So um, I think the way the game's gone now and everyone's going everywhere, you can find yourself in a position on the pitch and you, you have to be able to play there. So, um, yeah, I think shapes are really important, you know, setting up your defensive line um, and, you know, you, you could be anywhere across that line. You could be in the middle of the pitch. You could be out on the wing. Um you might have a late runner coming through that you have to follow, tag on and follow him. Um so I think, yeah, I think everybody has to be aware now. It's not just, oh, I'm gonna go in, and sit here in, in the corner and and stay there. You know, you, you could find yourself anywhere on a pitch and you have to be able to deal with it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Understanding everyone's roles and in defense and attacks very important. Um yeah, totally agree, Gavi. What do you think, um, is there differences between the London, let's say London-born players or ones, yeah, let's say more london more players, but the programme in general in London to the to the counties in Ireland, do you think there's much difference and it's going to be linked to the difficulties that people face getting around and being able to train and stuff like that? How much difference do you think there is between you and, let's say, another Division 4 team um, back in Ireland? Do you think there's much difference in the programme, the mentality of the players?
1: Uh, I think... In terms of training, I think we all do the same training. Um, I think everybody operating in, in Division Four is, is training similar. Um, I think I think we again we have to be a bit adaptable. Um, so, for instance, you know, a collective gym session. Um, you know, sometimes lads have to travel from the other side of London, which could take two to three hours just for a, a collective gym session. So, I think you know we're adaptable in the sense that lads do that remotely. Um and obviously they're they're accountable for it, and then we still do have a collective gym session for lads that can make it and lads who live locally and me personally and i I'm, I remember when you were there, I used to love i I still love going to the gym uh, not only are you, are you are you doing your strength and conditioning, but in terms of like just talking to lads um because you, you know throughout the week you don't get many hours together um and when you're on the football pitch, you don't really talk a lot in depth because you're, you're doing drills and you so I, I kind of feel like that one night a week where you do go to the gym obviously you, you get your work done but it's a really good opportunity to talk to players um you know get their ideas on, on what went wrong what went right on Sunday and then how we can improve it you know in training this week going into the next game so it's something I really enjoy doing going chatting to lads and and you know actually getting to know lads better at a gym session as opposed to on a football field
0: Really interesting. I felt the same. The gym sessions gave me an opportunity just to check in with players and and seeing how they were doing and other staff as well that was around. Talk to us a little bit then as a captain, so leadership skills. So those little informal chats may be one of the strategies you put in place to galvanise people. But what sort of things have you developed over the years from a leadership perspective and and how would you impart that on your team? Yeah, um, I
1: think. When Kieran made me um, captain, he came to me uh, towards the end of 2016, and you know, asked me what I'd be captain for 2017. And I wasn't really expecting it, to be honest. Um, but obviously, it was a huge honour and a privilege to get it. And um, I felt like I felt like at the time, it uh, it actually brought my game to another level. Um, maybe just having that bit of responsibility, um, I felt like you know I had to. You know, maybe I had to, you know, train harder and, and, you know, be the first out on the pitch and try and lead that way. I'm not really, you know, I'm not really a big man for for speeches and, you know, I'm not a big man in the dressing room for, you know, psyching lads up or anything like that. It's just not the way I am. Um, But I would like to say since I've been made captain that um, I'm always, you know, one of the first out on the pitch. I'm always the last one to leave the pitch. and I'm always trying to, you know, improve my game, work on individual things in my game. And I just feel like if if players are looking at me as the captain doing that, then I'm hoping it will, you know, transcend onto them and, and they want to do the same. Um, so that I kind of um, lead in how I play, really. Um, and that's how I like to do it. And yeah, as I said, I'm not really a big man for speech or anything. I'd speak to lads individually. And when something has to be said, I will say it. But... Um, I try and and lead in the way I train and in the way I play.
0: Yeah, from my time, you definitely lead by example by that. So I think you're doing a great job. Is there ever a time where you feel a responsibility for the team that actually might impair you developing as an individual? Sometimes where you feel so much responsibility, you just want to focus on your job? Or do you think you get the balance right?
1: Yeah, I think I get the balance right, to be honest. I don't, um, being captain is brilliant, but I don't let it, you know, bog me down or, you know, I don't overthink it or anything like that. At the end of the day, um, you, you should have 15 captains on the pitch. I think everyone is a leader in their own way. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, I just, I just focus on my football and going out there and, and, and playing to the best I can. And, and hopefully, the, you know, the lads will toe in behind me and, and we'll do, get a good performance out of it. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's the way I lead, really.
0: Perfect. And just one last thing before we come on to the current, the current uh, regime as a captain, how do you find the turnover of player year on year? Is it frustrating for you? Uh, You're obviously used to it now in terms of half the squad coming in and and being different, or maybe not that many. How do you deal with that as, as, as a London captain, constant turnover of players season on season?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I think, um, I think, especially, you know, when when you were there with, with Kieran and that, I think, uh, we didn't really uh, push on as much as I think we could have because of the transition year on year. Um, I just I felt like we'd get one win and then we never really backed it up. And then we we're playing teams, you know division four is a tough division, and anybody can beat anybody. and I, I kind of felt we never really got any momentum going, like winning, winning is a habit, and we never really got any momentum going in that in that area to go on and, and win games. You know, we used to win one game and it was great. And then the week after we'd never really backed it up. So um, that was frustration. And I think, um, you know, looking at teams around us at the time, like Leitrim and Limerick, like you look at Limerick now, they're operating in the Division Three, doing really well. And, you know, a few years ago, like, you know, we were competing with them and it, it would be in a very tight game. So um, I think the transition year on year kind of stops, like stunts your progress. Um, so I, I feel like this, the team this year, you know, it's it's a new team again, um, and obviously, you know, we've we've started off well. And we've got three wins under our belt, and and it's great. But I'd like to hopefully keep this team together for two, three years, and see where we can go. You know, um, and that would be, you know, the big aim for me. Like you know, hopefully over the summer months, lads won't go away, and we come back next year, and and you know, 80% of the lads are still there. And and if that's the case, then you can build something again, bring that's new cool. lads in because lads lads are coming every year and you can sprinkle three or four or five new lads in um, to improve the team without, you know, affecting it too much. Whereas if you have a, a transition of, of, of 10, 11, 12 lads every year, it's it's just a complete new team. And, and obviously trying to get to know each other is, is hard. And no having no pre-season games in... Before like, the league starts in, in January or before Christmas, like you know we, we have no preseason games to get to know lads what's their best position. So you're kind of finding out on the big stage in the first league game, second league game, you know and you're, you're trying to work out what's your best team, where to put players. So um, yeah, I think if we can keep this team together for a couple of years and, and, and build it and see where we can go really,
0: that's the key, isn't it keeping that core group there? Is, is that something you try to take? as a responsibility for you, like just towards the back end of the season, a few lads who might be thinking about leaving, just having a quiet word and maybe persuade them? Yeah,
1: I think, I think you try. I think uh, I think every year, you know, you get some lads in, in the league campaign and, and they don't get many minutes. And then all of a sudden, then, uh, you know, you have a month before championship and, and this lad springs out of nowhere and he's starting, you know. So I try and like remind lads of that, you know, like, you know, if, if, if you're not getting minutes in, in January or early February, you know, like, come the end of it, you you know, you could be starting a championship in May. Um, so, you just got to stick at it. So, that's what I find. I, I find every year I've been with London is always, you know, kind of a, su- a surprise package. Somebody, you know, bursting late onto the scene and, and training hard and confidence is up and he's playing well and he's he's starting in a championship game and maybe he didn't get many minutes in the league. So, it's, you know, it, it's not just a 15-man a game or it's not even a 20-man game anymore. You know, it's it's your panel of 30 or 32 lads. And at the moment, the, the standard is high in our training sessions. So everyone is pushing for a place. Nobody's position is safe on the team. And I think that's really, you know, it, it's helping training, but it's it's keeping lads focused as well because, you know, they're thinking, if well, if I have an off day here or, you know, if I miss training here, um, I won't be starting. So I think that's having a real positive effect on, on our play at the moment.
0: Sure. Well, you, you teed up the next question quite nicely. I mean, we've alluded to it throughout. You've had an amazing start. So congrats on the start. Uh, I've been in touch with you and a few others from, from London to say congrats. Three wins out of the first three games, which was phenomenal and just lost to, to to Wexford in the last game by a couple of points, which could have got you over the line for four wins, which would have been all history for London in the league. T- talk to me. I, You know, I knew Michael quite well when he was there under Kieran as well. And it was evident he was a very good coach and he brought a lot to the table in that year. Talk to me about the programme now. What are you guys doing in-house or whatever you can divulge that's that's bringing you to those wins? You said about before there was one win and, and wouldn't back it up. But how are you managing to back things up now, especially three in a row? Yeah,
1: I think, um, as you said, I mean, Michael came in for a year under Kieran um, and worked. On defensive side of things, he was he was more of a defensive coach um, under Kieran, um, and he's obviously come in as manager and he, he's brought his own ideas to the table, um, and I think he's just got, he's gone back to basics really, and he he's just made made sure that we're solid, um, you know, make sure we're compact, we're tight, and um, you know I've been in dress rooms with London at halftime where you know we've been beat out the gate and it's hard to motivate lads to to keep going because you know. We just got hammered in the first half. so um I, I think Michael's, yeah, brought it back to basics, make sure we're defensively tight. you know, you know we do a lot of tr- you know a lot of work on on that and uh, making sure we've got our shape right, and we're hard to break down. I and mean, then if we're hard to break down with the quality of players that we have at the moment, we'd like to you know transition you know and pick scores off. so um i think I think that's been w- one of the changes um, and then, I think looking, I think the players as well. I think you know, as, as I said before, like we have thirty, thirty-two players out, tra- out training of, of a high standard, uh, and the competition is massive. And, and I think having lads that have bought into it like that, you know, they all want to do well. They all want to play, and, and everyone's mad to play. So, um, yeah, we just, we just got a good, uh, you know, togetherness at the moment, and very, very good resilience and. And I think we're just we're never beaten, you know. Um we 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 make it hard for teams to break us down and and we're always in games. And I, I always believe if we're in games with ten, fifteen minutes to go and that you know, the quality that we have, um, you know, we'll be able to come out on the right end of it, which has been the case in, in three out of the four games so far
0: yeah sure, it's great stuff so far, um, I must say from from the outside. Also, you spoke about resilience. I mean, you said before about being well beat and it's hard to motivate teams, but you've come back from behind a couple of games. Like what sort of psychological traits have has the camp got now about sticking with the task and and getting back in the game?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think the the first league game actually against Carlo was massive for that. You know, I think we were uh, seven points down, I think, at half time. Um, obviously first league game, new team. You know, you, you could easily have thought at half time. oh, here we go again, you know. Uh-huh. Um, same old. But it, it wasn't that. at half time, it was uh I, I felt like we left a lot out there. Um, we missed a lot. Um, we had a lot of attacking opportunities that, that we didn't convert. Um and at half time I think lads were going around talking to each other and go, listen, like, you know, we're still in this game, you know. Um it should never be a seven-point, you know, margin. So um, the belief was there, and then obviously then we got our tails up in the second half, um, really put them under the, under pressure. Um, obviously, they had, they had a sending off, which, which helped. Um, but then to come out with a victory there in the first game, I think we had 10 points down at some point in the second half, I think it was, um, So to come out on the side of of, of a win, um, just was massive. I mean, mass, massive for the group, massive for London in general. And I think after that, then, we we kind of believed that, you know, why not? Why not go and, and play Waterford? And, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been in teams from, you know, 2016, and it's been the same, you know, talking about the frustrations, it's been the same, like, you know, we'd win and then it was, we never backed up. So I think after the Carlo game, the way it turned out, where we came back from 10 points down, it was, our tails were up and we are just like, well, why not? Let's, we got war for the home. Let's let's go and attack it. and and we did. And but I, yeah, I think our game management's been really good um, in in most games, and we and we've managed every game. So um, yeah, I think I think the togetherness within the group is uh, massive, and obviously getting a few wins and gaining momentum and winning is you know it's it is a habit. It's, it's it's really helpless, you know.
0: Yeah, great stuff. And we must mention alongside Michael as well, and also Jorkin, uh, who's in the panel. And Joe Coulter's now come back for the SSO, and so it's good to see him back in, yeah. back in with you guys. What's 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 the plans then for this season? I mean, to talk about this to talk outside you about promotion, and people saying, can London do it? What's the talk on the ground? Are you staying grounded? Have you have you got that in mind? Is it being mentioned?
1: No, no it's yeah, it's uh, same old cliche. It's like take one game at a time, isn't it? But um.
0: Yeah, look, we we got three
1: wins, and um, it, it was brilliant. Um, but we've just been looking at, you know, every game. Um, obviously, Wexford, we've come out the wrong side of it, and I, I kind of feel like, you know, I was, I was very frustrated Sunday night after losing to Wexford. Um, so, I think uh, we learn more from that game than any other game. You know, I think when you're winning, you don't learn as much. I think when you're losing, it's, you know, it's plain to see what, what's wrong. So, I think we learned a lot from that. And again, I think it's an, an opportunity this week uh, to go and play Sligo again, who I'm sure have promotion hopes. Um, again, it'll be another tough game. And I, we're just looking for a performance. I think second half against Wexford, you know, we didn't really do ourselves justice. So I think in the camp at the moment, we're just focusing on getting a performance against Sligo. And then, you know, we'll let, let the result take care of itself. And then come Sunday night, we'll see where we're at. And we've got two more games after that.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Gabby. Just a couple more from me, mate, then, then I'll let you go, get ready for your, for your night shift. Um, how do you see London uh, from both a county perspective and a club perspective developing over the years? You spoke a lot about the London-born and the focus that have happened at Underage at Club and, and also the junior system at London that now got all, all all England team as well, all London-born team. Where do you think it can go? Let's um, talk about the training ground, the new facility, all those sort of things. How do you think it can get to the next level?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think um, I think facilities is a massive one. Um, I think London need to get their own uh, training facility, an all-weather pitch, um, and then obviously their own gym facility and things like that. I think if we got that, um, it's going to a new level. At the moment, we're training on like grasshoppers, which is brilliant. Uh, it's a rugby, it's a rugby facility. They they got great facilities there, but the dimensions of a rugby pitch is not the same as a Gaelic pitch. So um, you know, working on stuff on a rugby pitch that's a lot smaller, it's it's a lot tighter, it's a lot compact, it's, you know, it is different, but obviously, you know, you you just deal with it and and you get on with it, but I think for London to go to the next level, I think getting a a training base that we can kind of call home and, you know, you have an all-weather pitch there, which is, you know, floodlit, um, full size, and you've got your your own gym there that I think the underage can use, and I think everybody there together, you know, if, if the underage can come in when the seniors are training there on a Tuesday and Thursday and they're training I know how brilliant it would it be for them to you know look over and go look you know one day I want to you know I want to be there playing so um I think we need to get a training base that everybody can use from underage up to senior and again getting getting these you know 16 17 18 year olds on you know on gym programs strength and conditioning programs so when they do get to 21 22 you know that you know they're they're physically ready to, you know, to play, to play Gaelic football. So I think, yeah, I think for London to go to the next level, they they need to try and um, get their own kind of centre of excellence in place where um, they've got all the training facilities there for everybody to use.
0: Sure. It'd be lovely to have a, like, a proper academy set up, won't it? Where you've got some of your junior players or your underage players maybe dipping into senior training if you need a spare man or someone who's ready for it. It'd be great to keep that development going.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's massive. I think even when I when I look back when I was younger, like I was lucky. Like my dad is massively into football, and he used to bring me out to to games. And I used to go out and watch the Girls seniors when I was 13, 14, playing in senior semi-finals and senior finals. And you know, I kind of wanted to be there. You know, I, I kind of had that belief that I wanted to be out there. And and even like training underage at the Girls when I was fourteen, the senior team were training on the pitch next year. So obviously you're, you're you're looking at them and watching them. So if we can get a similar thing in in London, where you know the underage teams can can dip in and dip out, and the senior team are training, and I think it only bodes well for for the youngsters looking up. But like you know, hopefully one day you know getting there themselves.
0: Sure, we'll, we'll look out for the next few years on, on the developments of that. Um, just the last one before we go into our quick fire round at the end, Gabby, what, what does the future look like for you? Um, what do you want to achieve in your the rest of your playing career? How many years do you think you've got left? And and be honest, um, and then what does life look like after playing? Do you want to go into coaching role? Is it something that interests you? Um, yeah, I think
1: uh, in terms of playing, obviously I'm, I'm 30 now, so... Um, I've got a few more years left for me, definitely with London. Um, hopefully, with going Gales, I've got longer. Um, I'd like to keep playing with my club until I physically can't do it anymore. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I, I still, uh, you know, I still have ambitions of, of playing football for a long time. So, um, in terms of going into coaching, managing, I don't think it's for me um, right now. Obviously, that could change, but... Um, I think I give so much time to playing, um, you know, in terms of working nights and, and and doing all this and the commitment. And as you say, you know, I, I, I go out on my own and, and work on my own things. I think mean, I've given up so much time. I think when I do finish playing, then being a manager and a coach now, it's, it's even more time, you know, you're on the phone constantly and you're thinking about training drills. And I just, I think I, I just, I want to, maybe switch off for a bit and get away from it. But I think I'll, I'll be involved with, with my club, on the girls in, in in a capacity, I don't know what. I think Gaelic football is always going to be a huge part of my life. Um, but yeah, I think management and coaching, I, I don't think it's for me, but then you never know. I might have a year off and, and get the itch for it and, and come back. But um, at the moment, it's full focus on playing and, and hopefully I can play with my club until, you know, maybe late 30s if I'm lucky. <laughs>
0: I'm sure you can. You look after yourself. Um in ten years' time when you get the London, the London manager's job, I'll hold you to this conversation. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> any any aspirations you've got for both uh, TCG and, and London. Is there any achievements you want to do in the in the next five, six, eight years that you've got left playing?
1: Yeah, um, obviously, you know, I want to get a comic run with London. Um, you know, this it's something I, I really want to do. Um, and then club wise. Um, yeah, I think for me now, like the London uh, senior champions go into the Connacht Club um, Championship. Uh, I think it's a really big opportunity for, you know, the London champions to, you know, to do something in that. Um, before we used to go into like the all Quarter quarterfinal where we play the provincial champions, which was, again, I think it's probably a step too far. Um, and obviously your training, whilst the provincial championships were happening, you were just training and you were training for three months sometimes just trying to stay ready for that game and it just wasn't really, you know, it didn't really work out. So now the fact that the London champions go into Connacht, you're playing a couple of weeks after the, the county final um, and obviously in Connacht you have the Mayo champions, the Roscommon champions, Galway champions, always very strong, always, you know, competing for the all Island. So um, I think that, yeah, that's one big thing for me is um, trying to obviously uh win a win another london county title and then have big ambitions to try and um you know win a conic game with the club i think it it'd be massive to the club and it it'd be massive to me so um, yeah i think it's something that um i would like to achieve in the next maybe 5 years
0: fair enough good target to have um thanks gabby if you don't mind we've got five quick fire round questions uh, for you to just give as, as long or short answers as you want but just answer them as as honestly as you can um and then we'll wrap up mate um number one who's been the biggest influencers of your career so far
1: um i'll probably say like my dad and my brother um obviously my dad because he's he's been with me since the start and obviously there's Probably been a few moments where maybe, you know, I, I could have, you know, maybe stepped away or whatever. And he's always made sure that I kept on the right path. And, you know, um, he's he always been a big supporter of, of my career. So obviously my dad and then obviously my brother, I think from a young age, uh, you know, he, he invested interest. You know he, you know, he was playing himself. But after games, he used to stay with me and, and, and work on things. So, um, yeah, I'd probably say my dad and my brother, yeah.
0: Brilliant. And number two, best game you've played so far? Mm, I, I would say Leach from twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Just just lost, I
1: think. Yeah, uh, yeah, lost by a goal in the end. We gave Some, away a couple yeah. couple of stopping goals, but um,
0: someone gave the ball away. Did, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember the game. We was winning, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, it was one that got away. I think in the end. But um, yeah, in terms of like my individual performance, um, I think yeah, I think you know that day I was just. Uh, you know, when you feel kind of like, you know, everything was going over the bar and, you know, everything I was doing was working. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of uh, an overall game, I think, yeah, Bleach in 2017 would have been the best one, yeah. Yeah, uh,
0: play, best game you have played in. So, not necessarily what you've played, but best game you've been involved in.
1: Uh, obviously, Mayo 2011, as a young star, kind of first experience of, you know, playing against Mayo, you know, the crowd is, is massive. Mayo have a big, Travelling support and there's plenty of Mayo people in London. So uh, I think London's game, every every time they play Mayo in Connacht, it, it's the biggest game. Um, so obviously playing that in 2011, uh, coming on and the experience was brilliant. But then I would go back to Kieran's first year of 2016 with Mayo. I played midfield that year um, and I felt like I learned a lot. Um, you know, playing against Mayo, obviously... Division one, top five team in Ireland, been competing for all Ireland finals, you know, every year, near and off. So um, for me, obviously, to play midfield that year against them and, and compete and, you know, I felt like I did okay that day was massive. So I learned a lot of, you know, learned, I learned a lot in that game. So yeah, I'll say the two Mayo games, 2011 and 2016, for different reasons.
0: Brilliant. Um, lowering the tone a little bit, the next one. Worst moment in your career so far?
1: I know. Um, I try not, to, try not to look on uh, negatives or dwell on things. Um, I'd, I'd pro- obviously, you have massive highs in winning. Um, I've had massive highs in winning, and then obviously then you have lows. I've lost a few county tie, like finals, you know, last kick of the game, but then I've won a few county finals at the last kick of the game. So, you know, they balance themselves out. That's just sport. You have highs, you have lows. Um, I think during lockdown, actually, recently, I was picking up a lot of niggles. Um, playing um, and obviously it was really frustrating obviously not being able to play and trying to get your body right and and then when you were playing you weren't at, at your best so yeah I'd say during the lockdown was frustrating for me um, and then when London kind of got the green light this year to get back going I kind of um, check on the girls we got knocked out in, in semi-final in October and I kind of said to myself like I'm three months here and before Christmas to kind of focus on myself and and get the body right to get back playing. And and thankfully I did, and touch wood, hopefully all the the niggles have gone away. So yeah, I say during lockdown, just not being able to play maybe to your potential was frustrating for me.
0: Interesting. And then last one, mate, any changes you would have made in the past?
1: Uh, Changes? I don't think so I don't think
0: um, I would change anything to be honest
1: I don't as I said before I don't really dwell on things I don't really look back on on things um, obviously during games you you, know, you look back on certain things and you think oh if I did this here I did that there it could have been a different outcome but um, in terms of my career like um, no I wouldn't change anything I'm, I'm, I'm you know I'm happy with what I've done I'm proud of what I've achieved so far and I think there's still more left in the tank. So hopefully um, I've got a few more years ahead of me.
0: Sure. Very positive and, and inspirational, Liam. So thank you very much. Um, just from us here, thanks for coming on the podcast, taking time out of your out of your busy schedule. You've had a great start. So well done to everyone involved at London. And, and we wish you the best for the league campaign and, and the championship as well. Yeah, brilliant.
1: No, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, all the best with everything you do going forward. <laughs> Cheers,
0: Liam. Top man. Cheers. Take care. Bye,